Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate listeners on product industry and best practices to build a great customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. We've got a great guest today for you, sports media veteran John Turner, USA Today Sports Media Group's Director of Business Development, is here to talk and discuss best practices for user retention, loyalty, and growth. He's been in sports media on the editorial side and customer experience and audience development for more than a decade. Decade at great content brands such as the Sporting News, Golf Week, and now USA Today Sports Media. And has been an entrepreneur, even attempting to innovate original content. I'm excited to have John on, on to learn from his experiences. Uh, we appreciate you joining us today, John. Welcome to the One Signal Podcast. Hey, great to be here, Josh. Thank you for having me. So I think in the preamble, before we started recording, I was telling you how excited I was to talk to you, how much a fan I am of sports in general, but sports media specifically. <laughs> so I'm curious, how'd you get your, your start in journalism and specifically in, in sports media? Yeah, I there's a story my, my mom tells, I don't know if it's true, um, <laughs> that she ran into my fifth grade teacher a few years back in the grocery store and she said, hey is John the best sports writer in America? And my mom said, what are you talking about? She said, well, I remember him telling me that he was going to be the best sports writer in America. I don't remember saying that, but I do remember around that time deciding that that's all I cared about. That's all I was going to do. I figured out that you could make a career out of being involved with sports. And I I knew early on that I was not going to be a great enough athlete uh, to be on the baseball field, which is really all I cared about that age. So thankfully, I turned my attention to something else started reading all of the sports books in the library and uh, started reading some of the great sports writers. I grew up in Detroit, so I was reading Mitch Album and reading Sports Illustrated and uh, kind of just, this it's all I thought about. It's all I cared about until I got into the industry, basically. Nice. Yeah. Tuesdays with Maury and the Fab Five. I always remember Mitch Album for both of those. That's right. In your experience last you know decade or so, how has sports media evolved? Yeah, it's crazy because you could we could probably do a podcast for every year of the last <laughs> decade, just how things have changed. And it's good. It's good because if things hadn't been changing, I don't think any of us would be employed. There would just be some Google machine combing box scores and uh, releasing data for, for anybody who cared to get it. But thankfully, I think the industry has been nimble enough and in you know, a lot of classic newsrooms. I think the sports groups especially have led the way on this transition to digital. And I don't think anybody would even say it's a transition anymore. I think the transition has happened and now it's just a matter of, of growth and, and retention and engagement and creating something sustainable. I mean, you think 10 years ago, so 10 years ago, 2010, right around this time, I was taking over as sports editor in Huntsville, Alabama. I had a staff of eight which first off, just wrap your mind around a staff of eight sports writers in Huntsville, Alabama, and had just been cut from 13. And I was the youngest person on staff by 15 to 20 years. We were not posting content to the website. So that was the first thing that I was charged with. So fast forward 10 years, everything is done the other way. And at the time, that was totally the tail wagging the dog, posting something to the website and giving it away when it's going to be in the paper was just ludicrous uh, to suggest. And now, of course, the idea of waiting to, for something to hit newsprint would be equally ludicrous. So, and every, every month, every week since then, there's always some little update, something that moves us closer. But yeah, I think the, the idea that we're still transitioning is, is, is done. We have transitioned, we are here. And now it's just a matter of, of building something sustainable in the sports space, which a lot of people are doing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, and there's a lot of conversations or questions I would I would love to talk to you about another time because uh, it'd be off topic. But it is interesting how things have evolved. And and the fact you just threw out eight sports writers at a at a local newspaper. And Huntsville's a decent sized city, obviously, yeah. like a lot of sports, but I can't imagine that there's eight sports writers still on the staff at like the LA Times as an example. I'm just threw that out. I have no clue, by the way. But correct. Yeah. And I, I can't emphasize enough too how much of a tragedy. Yeah. And for me, I was 23 years old and I had this shiny new job and, and I was so excited. And everyone on staff was, especially on my sports staff, was just dejected that this once great staff of like 15 had just been cut down to eight. It's just hard to even empathize with my own feelings at yeah. that time, how things were. It just feels like a million years ago. Yeah. Well, in some ways, that's what I love about technology and the just the innovation in general is that every day is new. You have these new challenges. The hard thing is that the time seems like it happens in like warp speed. So to your point, like you could go a year at a time <laughs> to go deep on this, but yeah. So I think you touched on this, but the next question sort of evolves. And, and I think before we get into the retention piece, I really wanted to understand, you know, distribution and user acquisition in those 10 years, you sort of alluded to this at, in Huntsville when you're on that working of the paper, acquisition was really about getting subscribers to the newspaper, the physical newspaper and sending that stuff out. How has that changed today? Like how has the distribution model flipped, particularly as you think about it, your job today? Yeah, I mean, I, there's still a lot of that. We, on the USA Today network side, the major push is still driving subscriptions, of course, and a lot of these subscriptions are digital, but across the industry and especially across sports media, there's kind of a concession there. If you don't have a digital or a subscription product, you've said, okay, we know our readers are out there and we just want to do a better job engaging them, understanding who they are, what they want, how do we meet them? And that's really what my focus has been. Very, very rarely am I out trying to get somebody to pay us up front for anything. It's really a matter of how do we incentivize somebody to activate on our platform when they want to be a fan when they want to know what's going on, when they want to relate with other fans. So that's an exciting challenge. It's a totally different challenge, but that's the one that I've, I've kind of grown accustomed to waking up and thinking about every day. Well, and so let me take a step further. If the old model would be you're looking to acquire a consumer, you deliver them a newspaper or a subscription to a, a magazine in the case of like a golf week or, but the new model, what you touched on when you were at Sporting News with AOL is distribution becomes digitally centric and digital opens up these new avenues where you can parse out content. How much do you do that at the sports media group and sharing across USA Today and the Gannett properties and Gatehouse? Yeah, what that model is, you think about again, like the last 10 years, it changes all the time. You know, what does it mean to get a subscriber? And I think that answer is different in 2012, 2015, 2018, and today for sure. Yep. So for us, I I think today what we want to see is we want to see email newsletter opt-ins. We want to see single sign-on because we're we're fighting like everyone else the impending cookie apocalypse. We want to make sure that we're aware of who's reading us and that we we've been able to sink a claw into them. That's just the reality now. Two years ago, three years ago, I think there was still this idea that you could build an incredible amount of scale and make money off of that just through programmatic advertising or just literally walking into a room and saying, hey, here's our number. 
and you know, big brand X says, awesome, here's the check we're going to write you and you walk away. That does not happen anymore. There's just so much more data that needs to, to be accumulated and to kind of be parsed and transferred. All of those things that you're mentioning, all of those ways that we, we get a, a hook into a reader, that, that we deliver content, they're all their own phase of the game. They're all completely different entities requiring completely different tactics. And the idea of rolling that up into one big number I was listening to a, another podcast recently, the Digiday podcast, I believe, yep. and Jim Bandehay, the Axios CEO, was on, and his quote, which I'm, I'm paraphrasing, and we might have said directly, but scale for the sake of scale is dead. Yeah. Um, and it, it has been dead for a while. And I think that we're, as media, we're, we're kind of coming to terms with that, but in a good way. This is very good news if you're in media, and incredible news if you're just a consumer, because what that means is you're not just a very, very small number of some CPM that has to be computed. Uh, it means that you're a person who maybe wants to use the app, but doesn't want to be targeted, you know, via email, or maybe you're the opposite, whatever it is, you're going to get a more catered experience. And that becomes your subscriber. And that's how you, you know, that's how a media company is going to make money. So that you led me down this path, which I, I told myself before I wouldn't go down, but I have to. So I, and, and, I won't, and I won't express my opinion here, but I'm curious, how does USA Today think about charging for content, right? USA Today's entire history up until about 15 or 20 years ago, you could not read or consume anything from Gannett that wasn't paid. You had to buy a physical newspaper. The internet ushered in this era where lots of companies, New York Times as an example, sat down with their CEO and was asking him, why do you give it away on the internet? I can't just go to a newsstand down the street and pick up the thing for free. Yeah. So I'm curious, how does USA Today think about that broadly speaking? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a few people who sit above me who yeah. you know, I'm not going to speak for. I'll, I'll say that. This is, yeah. this is the, the idea, the thought of, of John Turner. But you know, USA Today is no different than any other media company in that they want to test and, and attempt to innovate and, and look at the results and repeat. So like most sites, including the New York Times, definitely including the New York Times, the whole paywall versus wide open thing has shifted and, and gone in and out over time. I think the sweet spot for most media companies has become, how do you show readers what you're capable of producing, whether that's your video, whether that's on your platform or off your platform? How do you incentivize enough to show them that you can also produce something worth paying for? And so in the case of subscriptions, in many instances, it's either because something's behind a hard paywall and you want that content, or uh, maybe you want to hold a newspaper in your hands, or maybe you want a certain video series that extends the same way you know, Netflix does or anything else. You just want access to a piece of media that's out there. For the USA Today Sports Media Group, pretty much everything that we produce is wide open. We have 60 plus owned and operated websites like Golf Week and, and For the Win and Hoops Hype. MMA junkie. And if you have an NFL team, we have a site for you that produces a bunch of content and it's all out there for free. So for now, our approach is to try to produce top quality content and make sure that we're distributing that in a way that meets users and is reflective of, we hope, the kind of quality and breadth of coverage we're producing uh, down the road. You know, if you talk to me in six months or a year or two years, I hope that I have a different answer. I hope that we're looking at some things that are gated. I hope that we've been able to reinvest to a point that we're producing things that we think are on another level. And we're going to ask readers to, to pay for that or listeners or viewers. And we're going to keep 
pushing down that road, but always having content lead the way uh, because we can ask people to pay for things. Uh, we could ask people to pay for things right now. Don't know how successful it will be because you, you really have to be about 10 times better with your content you know, to get the money for it. In a lot of those local markets, I think there's no doubt about it. What these newspapers and newsrooms are producing is 10 times better than what they're going to get anywhere else. You know, at a national sports level, we're working there. Yep. So I think we're doing some really cool stuff, but I hope soon we get enough people in the pasture that we can maybe, you know, kind of drop a fence around them and say, Hey, if you, if you want to stay in here, we'd like a few bucks. And if not, we hope you've, you've enjoyed your time here, but yeah, that's, that's good. some decision to be made in the future that hopefully I'll be a part of. No, I like that. That's a good answer. That's a good segue into the core question around you're trying to build, and you mentioned even with the cookie apocalypse is what you what you labeled it. It is becoming much more about building a loyal, highly engaged audience. And as the Axios CEO mentioned, I don't care about 100 million people anymore. I care about if I can get to 100 million highly loyal and, and fiercely active, then that's great. But the reality is I want people who are really engaged in the brand. I want people who know what, you know, they're coming here for a very specific reason. So when you think about the strategic pillars of customer engagement and retention and, and ultimately driving loyalty, what do those look like for you today? And, and how do you think about that broadly speaking, given your, your media career? Yeah, this is another one that changes all the time. But I think the one thing that doesn't change in the kind of the pillar that sits in the middle supporting this whole industry has been eroded at times, but I think people are understanding why it sits in the middle is to protect and invest in the user and in the content they're getting, the experience that they have. In media, it's easy to look around now and see what you don't have. This is, you know, there were more layoffs announced today at ESPN. It's kind of something that happens all the time. It's tragic. It's, it's a brutal industry to be in. But it, so it's easy to say, okay, we we used to have all these people doing all this stuff. We don't have this anymore. But I think sometimes we forget how much we have to offer readers, just not only just from the, the resources that you have and the distribution you have, but just the, the human capital. There's just so many smart people who can write well, who can produce videos, who can stand up and be on video and, and tell people things that they're not going to know otherwise, you know, producing podcasts, all sorts of things, all these skills. And I think that when we strip away some of those kind of distractions and focus on getting readers what they need and what they want, we can produce some really top shelf results. And that that pretty much sets up everything else. So, you know, I mean, that's just like a general ethos. Yep. And if you want anything else that you want to do, if you do that correctly, it kind of takes care of itself. Practically speaking, I think we we want to do all the little things right from website and overall platform, email, app, social media, whatever, kind of like we touched on earlier, those are all separate experiences that over time and, can, and this continues to happen are being appropriately treated as separate experiences. You can't send an email newsletter that just looks like a website. You can't do a podcast that's just reading out a story that was in your newspaper. Yep. These things don't work. And so starting to get some of these skills to really develop to differentiate, to build better products, to deliver these things, really, and, and really producing content for those channels. So thinking about why would not, not just that we're going to do a good podcast, but what is it about the nature of a podcast that would lend itself to the content that we want to deliver? So 
that's become such a huge thing, not just kind of fire hosing all your content. Okay, we have this great story on this player and fire hosing it into uh, all of these different distribution channels, but trying to get the right fit for those. That's the thing we try to get better at every day, because if you can distribute the right content in the right way, you're going to win. You're going to align with brands who are going to open their wallet. You touched on something important there. So you're extending channels you support. You're getting into podcasts, video, obviously text. How do you cross-pollinate that with a consumer? I'm coming to the, the main USA Today sports page. How are you getting me in and bringing me into these other experiences? What types of tools are you using? Email. Yep. Uh, we obviously know use push. What are the things you're doing? What is working? What's not working? Yeah, now this is turning into like a, uh, a Q3 review with my boss, the general manager of the sports <laughs> media, media group, Chris Perrone. Uh, this it sounds like a question you would ask me to try to justify uh, why I work for the company. Um, and, and this really is at the heart of, of what I'm trying to do, which I view my job very much as we have a great national sales team. We have an awesome and robust content team. We have a product team that is just working their butts off to produce things that make everything else work. And I try to sit in the middle and make everyone's life a little easier. I think most days I I make things easier uh, instead of making things harder. But that question that you've asked about, okay, you reach someone one way, you've gotten them to your website. Now what? This is our struggle right now. And we're not alone in it. But I will say that we have a ways to go because we're still really trying to, we're trying to get our, our grasp of that up with our audience reach and our product suite. I want to make sure that if somebody is signing up for an email newsletter, you know, we have a quarter million email newsletter subscribers. How many of those people really know that we have an app where they can follow their team and get those alerts and get that content? I don't think many do, even though we're, you know, we'll place in these ads and do things to make sure that we're bringing kind of a visual presence in there. It's not super cohesive. And the goal is to make sure that we're viewed as as all of those things, that we're not just viewed as somebody who's going to lionswire.com to see how the Lions blew their most recent game. I'm a Lions fan, so I get to say that. (laughs) We want to make sure that if you're going to lionswire.com to figure out what is wrong with this historically bad franchise, that we also know that you can read about this historically bad franchise on our newsletter that comes out every morning at 10 a.m. that you can read about this historically bad franchise in the app, that you can read about this historically bad franchise by getting one signal notifications. That's the hard part. It's, it's a challenge without being too invasive. And we really try not to be invasive as far as getting people onto the website and giving them 15 pop-ups in a row to let them know what we can do. So we're trying to balance that out. We're trying to introduce technologies that target the people that we think will be interested in it. How much do you look at users and customize? So for example, I am a junkie. So I can take a lot more, whether it's emails or notifications, I can take more versus maybe my father, who is a sports fan, but would feel overwhelmed with too many emails, too many notifications. How much have you gotten down that path in terms of personalizing the experience? I think those are all linked together as far as introducing those other opportunities to engage and then figuring out who is in, you know, who's in that bucket that you're in and, and who's in the bucket that your your dad is in. And yeah, you know, we need to, you know, big part of 2021 is is introducing um, some level of single sign-on. And so we're bringing, we're also bringing a, a more robust comments suite into play. 
yeah. uh, and, and just start to figure out who these people are so we can deliver them what they need a little better. Because for us, our marketing funnel starts at getting you to the website or, or maybe even beyond that is, you know, getting an impression in social and bring yeah. that into our marketing funnel right now would be get our app, sign up for a newsletter, um, sign up for notifications. All of those are, are wins for us since we're not, you know, we're not pushing a, a newspaper or a subscription product in most instances. We hope that basically what we do is, is as you're kind of going down this path, as you get to the website and you say, hey, I like this content. Well, here's also because you've, you've visited the website X number of times and you're this far into this experience, we're going to let you know as politely as possible that we have a newsletter that you should be a part of. And once you're in that newsletter and engaging, we're going to let you know that you, we have an app that you should be a part of and just allowing people to go as far down this path as they care to without overwhelming them with the, uh, without shoving them down that path. So, yep. and all along the way, we want to make sure that these are quality products with, with high quality content. So you don't have any sort of remorse about how far you've gone and, and your life is being taken over by, by alerts or things like that. We, we hope that it's, it's all things that you're glad that you're in the loop on because you really care about what is going on with your team. Yep. Makes sense. How do you classify or prioritize email versus push versus other channels you may use in terms of bringing people back in and keeping them engaged? I think all, all of those, they have their own subcategories of how we manage them as products, how we sell against them, and then, of course, how we're dealing with users. The key part for us, and specifically for my role, is really taking the time to gather and understand the data against those so that we can look at the appetite for consuming all of these different things. I have <laughs> all of these spreadsheets and, and all of this data that I'm constantly trying to pull ideas from or pull tests from. And we're doing the same thing with OneSignal right now. We just put in the WordPress plugin. So yesterday I was sifting through this data and figure out what's working. You know, who is it working for? Okay, this one wire sent probably way too many notifications. And a few of these wires maybe aren't sending enough. But since we have this data, what are the engagement rates on those? How many clicks are we driving? How many people are subscribing or unsubscribing to these? And so that's a totally different opportunity yep. than the opportunity around email. I deal with all of them every day. So I kind of am you know, getting a hat burn trying to take these things on and off and deal with them. But it's troublesome to, to lump them all into one column and, and say, okay, this is this is the good thing and this is the bad thing, or this is yeah. the thing that we should do across all of these. And that's kind of a non-answer to a good question. So I apologize. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I guess the, the follow-up there would be like, then what's something you've deployed or you've seen deployed that was been most impactful? If you were to leave uh, listeners with one thing, hey, everyone should be doing this because it's driving value. Just sort yeah. of best practice. I think the thing that continues to outperform expectations and grow and has probably now over the past decade. Let's say the big winner of the past decade has been email, kind of relegated to the thing that, you know, maybe your mom or dad were checking on AOL and, and the thing that you would use when you needed to, it's become a major distribution platform. But most importantly, I mean, a lot of things are major distribution platforms, but it's become a major monetization platform. Yep. You know, when I got to Golf Week, that was one of the first things we did. We read the emails. And that probably accounts for between a quarter to a third of, of the revenues there at last check. It's something that, that makes sense. It checks the box for everybody. Yeah. It's an opt-in experience. So it's something that users are leaning into. 
you get to really kind of display the content almost in a way that matches newspapers where there's some gatekeeping of what gets in, what goes out, some hierarchy building. Um, you can build some really visually engaging things into a newsletter. Yep. You can push people to any experience and then advertisers and brands, sponsors want to align around that. There's a lot of opportunities to do it in ways that, that make sense. You know, outside of that, I think there used to be this idea, an idea that hopefully is now long dead, that there was this silver bullet for what would work and what would save, you know, the, the replication of newspapers, basically. It was, it was always the thought early in my career as I was in print media. And thankfully, I think that that thought is dead, that the, the halcyon days of, of newsprint, that we're just going to replicate that are gone. And now it's, it's really more of a matter of, of looking at all of these opportunities to meet your audience, for us to meet our fans on their own terms and stack up, you know, pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters to build what used to be dollars. And now it's, it's pretty easy to see, it used to be much tougher to see, that there, that is a significant amount of revenue if you do it the right way. And, you know, to me, again, it all goes back to just building the content the right way. You can do all the email newsletters you want. If the content's gross, nobody's going to click into it. Yeah. Um, and you justly will not be rewarded for that. So, so yeah. That's good. One last question. If you're in your crystal ball five years from now, like how do you think the industry media and sports media specifically have evolved? I think that the true death of scale has been achieved. Uh, which is great. I do see a lot of those walled gardens where you're paying to get in. You have like the great bundling and, and then the great unbundling. So a little bit more of this choose your own adventure for sports fans that say, hey, I want to be involved in, you know, the athletic. And then I want to, you know, read from these wire sites. And I want to also read from my local newspaper. And those are the things you're paying to get into. And those products have evolved to the point that they're meeting you wherever you want, on your phone, on your computer, on your TV, and you're happy with that world. I, I can easily see at least the, the, headlines, the headlights shine at least that far down the road to see from there. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, yeah. But, but I, it seems to be that's coming together, that these media companies seemed, seem to be extremely focused on building quality experiences. Almost everyone now is really just obsessed with quality experiences yep. as opposed to let's do some black hat SEO and, and try to nab an extra you know, few thousand visitors on these posts. I think that's totally done. And I think that's for the benefit of our industry and, and for the reader. Yeah. So I would presume too, that, that with that and sort of what you talked about earlier in terms of paywalls, it is really critical to build deep, highly engaged in relationships, loyal relationships with the people that really care about the content now, because then it gives you the right down the road to, to get them in as a, as a paid customer. Absolutely. And I think even with, you know, with what we're doing with around all these different owned and operated, you know, we invariably will stumble into some things over the next year or two where we figure, wow, we really have a great voice around this. We've built an outstanding audience around this. And maybe that needs to be its own, you know, paid for uh, newsletter, its own subscription newsletter. You see what's happening now with a lot of these platforms popping up where journalists are able to go make their own money on, on their own platform as newsletter or just as a website. Yeah. And so for us, I think we have an opportunity to, to see what people like, see what they don't like. And if we can build an engaged enough following and we feel like we have content that's strong enough, you know, then we can talk about building, building a wall around that and, and paying to get inside. But for right now, it's just nice to focus on dealing with building quality content and then making sure that people get a chance to see it and engage with it. Yep. 
Well, thank you, John, for joining the podcast. It was uh, really a pleasure speaking with you and appreciate you being part of the OneSignal community of users. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to the OneSignal podcast at your preferred podcast directory, Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, and many others. If you're looking for a great customer engagement software used by more than a million companies across the globe, go try OneSignal today. It's free to start, OneSignal.com. In the meantime, have a great day. Take care, everybody. 